Well-Read Books is proud to announce the release of an important new title, The Revolutionary Legacy of Rosa Luxemburg. Rosa Luxemburg has often been misrepresented as an opponent of the October Revolution, standing for some sort of softer, anti-authoritarian Marxism as against that of Lenin and the Bolsheviks. In this book, Marie Fredrickson sets the record straight. Examining her ideas on the basis of what she actually wrote, the book reclaims Rosa Luxemburg as the revolutionary she was. You can order the book now from our website, wellreadbooks.net, for only $12.99. And you can get free shipping till the end of March with the code ROSA1871. To introduce myself, I'm Lubna Badi, I'm a member of Socialist Appeal, and today we have Tash here, who will be discussing uh, this important question of, of the historic examples of the women's struggle, mainly focused on the, on the Russian Revolution. Uh, so hi Tash, uh, welcome, maybe you can introduce yourself uh, to our listeners. Um, yeah, hi, I'm, yeah, as you say, Natasha, I'm an activist in Socialist Appeal, and I'm also a member of the National Education Union, and I'm an activist there as well. Great. Yeah, so we'll be discussing, uh, as mentioned, uh, the historical lessons uh, of the women's struggle and mainly, of course, on the Russian Revolution uh, with a focus on that. Now, I guess it will be good to just like first lay out to our listeners what exactly were the conditions of women in Russia? uh, How come uh, that they uh, were basically involved in the revolution? Uh, Maybe, yeah, maybe you can explain a little bit about the conditions there. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I think, you know, at this particular time in history, um, as with most places and most trade unions around the world, women weren't really particularly involved in the struggle actively up until the point of the revolution, really, and, and through the work of the Bolsheviks. Um, and so, you know, around the world and and in Russia up until this point, really women were kind of seen as um, not to be involved in the class struggle, not to be involved in the trade unions. They were seen as less intellectual, maybe less developed in these points, less in favour of strike action. And so they didn't you know, really get included and um, hadn't really fought for that um, particularly. And I guess that kind of reflects the quite patriarchal nature of society at the time, particularly in Russia, women were really seen as the property of men. Um, and, and from this, you know, even in sort of czarist law, things flow from that, that women were completely subjected to men's ideas. Um, and the sort of laws also reflected that, you know, women were allowed to be beaten by the, their husbands. That was kind of legal. Um, and, and, you know, I guess even um, in the sort of countryside the situation was worse I suppose for women where there was a great hold of the church on society um, and they had a really firm hold on on people's views Um, and I guess women were also quite um, you know 
were sort of unable to like engage in the same way that men were because they were locked out of many different things. They weren't able to access education in the same way that men were. In fact, I think at the time, you know, uh, prior to the revolution, it's something like 13% of women were even literate. Many women, when they were sort of girls, had to uh, stop going to school and go into the home and sort of take care of people there and really do this kind of hearth work of, you know, the domestic yeah. labour, basically. Um, and even those who were in work, for them, the situation wasn't much better. They Their rate of pay was far, far lower than that of the men um, and faced that kind of question of the, you know, the double burden of work and domestic labour that we are having to face still today, really. Um, so those are kind of the conditions in which you know, the Bolsheviks were sort of discussing and entering uh, the question of the women's question, um, really. Right, yeah, so from these uh, conditions, what sort of, uh, yeah, political points and, and questions were raised? Yeah, so I, I think, I guess there's sort of like two sides to it. There's the, these are the terrible material conditions that we need to change and do something about. And then there's the sort of political side of how do we engage women in politics? How do we ensure that women are part of, um, you know, the way of changing society? And so for the Bolsheviks, how can we get them involved in the class struggle, essentially? And I think, you know, some of those questions are very similar to what we're facing today. We, we're still asking that question now, how do we get more women involved in politics? Um, and how do we go about finding out what the issues are and how to begin to solve those? And none of that can be achieved without women being thoroughly involved in the class struggle. And that was the key question for the Bolsheviks. You know, it wasn't about, OK, how do we set up a separate struggle that we can engage women in and have a particular yeah. meeting on something that only women are interested in? It was about, OK, understanding that the class struggle is inherently about transforming society for which women are, of which women are a part of um and we need to overthrow class society to do that women have to be involved and to change the conditions for women we have to overthrow class society so the struggle is one and the same and so this was really you know the kind of key question i guess for the bolsheviks is how can we build this workers movement mm. um and so i guess that was kind of the way forward was thinking right well we, we're not going to engage women, as I said before, on this separate issue, but in the actual class struggle itself. And um, I think that was what attracted women to the Bolshevik party as well, that it wasn't some kind of separate thing on the side. They were inherently part of the struggle. The struggle is for them in the same way as women, you know, are struggling for everybody as well. Yeah. So so what did that eventually lead to? Like what, what did the Russian revolution achieve uh, for women? Um, well, massive massive changes you know we can't really understate the kind of changes that it achieved um i think one kind of um key thing that everyone's aware of is of course the question of the franchise and of the vote so this was something a question that had been coming up around the rest of europe i think around this time but actually um very few other countries had given the vote to women at all um and yet the russian revolution this for the russian revolution for the bolsheviks actually this was a key question um that they um you know followed through with and actually they were you know one of the first states in the world that gave women the right to vote and what's really interesting about this is that um after the Bolsheviks had, you know, come to power and extended the franchise to everybody, or mm. not really that the Bolsheviks had come to power, but, you know, had had kind of ushered in the power of the workers through the revolution, um, other countries also granted women the vote. And we can see, you know, this kind of huge transformation that took place didn't just affect women in Russia, but it actually had an impact on, on women around the rest of the world as well. Um, and I think yeah. that's a really you know an important thing that shows the the power of the class struggle that it can have the pressure that it can put on other states as well um 
So, yeah, there's this political question of the right to vote, but of course, then there's also the other material conditions that were changed as well. So women, you know, were no longer considered the property of men, which is a very important big step. Um, they were yeah. also granted some key things around giving them, um, you know, rights to their own body. So free access to abortion, um, special maternity wards were set up and they brought yeah. in paid maternity leave before and after birth, Um you know, not long after 1917. And just to put that in context, the UK didn't give this kind of maternity rights until 1975. So the yeah. things that were achieved for women after the revolution were were leagues ahead of anywhere else. Um, there was also changes in, I was saying about, you know, the sort of like um, legal rights of women. So um, particularly in relation to marriage, like marriage didn't have to happen. Um, it wasn't that everybody had to be married and access to divorce was massively increased. Um yeah. I think as well, things that happened, changes that happened in the workplace um, also impacted women because women were in the workplace too. So things like shortening the working day that was achieved had a big impact on women. Um, and and I think what's really key is the recognition of domestic labour as mm. labour, you know, as having value. And I think that's something that in class society, um, it, it definitely was taken away from women and that's why women sort of yeah. face this kind of degradation you know as as we've talked about in previous podcasts um and and i think just that general change to the economy in russia and to the social structure that flowed from that had a big impact on women who of course had been doubly oppressed in the workplace with the domestic labor so these were really key changes um that that were able to be achieved after the revolution mm. Yeah, so that's, of course, incredible. And I guess, like, t like the question is, like, to what extent were women involved in that, in, in those changes? Like, um, were they were they being basically drawn into politics much more than before? Were they, were, were they like, actively involved in politics now with the new policies and reforms? Uh, or, yeah, how did that change, essentially, their involvement in, in yeah, in politics? Yeah, I think this is a really important question, actually, because these things, sometimes it can be seen as they've been done to women or they've just been uh, mm. kind of applied and are oh, great for women. But women were really heavily involved in all of these changes in the revolution itself, in the insurrection. You know, um, it, in fact, it was women that led the insurrection in 1917 in February, mm. um, you know, with the um, Women's Day marches, but also in terms of their formulation of these reforms and being involved in the emerging workers' democracy, women were definitely really heavily involved involved in that so they played a key role in the soviets um, um even from the 1905 soviets the women had been involved in those so the workers councils that had um, you know spontaneously been organized by the workers themselves women were elected to them as well and as well as participating in the vote so it wasn't just that they were you know having a say in electing some men they were also themselves elected um and, you know, there, there were even examples of certain factories where women, the, the women took a, a larger share of the votes. Actually, there were more women than men in the leadership positions of the Soviets. Um, mm. And, and you know, this is obviously uneven and dif different depending on which part of Russia you look at. But I think on the whole, we can see their involvement increasing there. Um, it wasn't just in the Soviets as well. Women also were taking position at higher place. So Alexander Kollontai, for example, was appointed as the People's Commissar of Social Welfare in the kind of first Bolshevik like type government. Um, and she really was the world's first female minister. So again, we can see 
not just in terms of the material gains that the revolution provided for women being world leading, but also in terms of political access for women, uh, it's also world leading. And then if you think about, you know, not just in the terms of the places where women were being elected to, but more generally women were involved in um, and leading many of the strikes and the protests that were taking place um, and kind of naturally taking part in the general revolutionary work all over, leafleting and flyering, speaking at public meetings, um, so having a platform there. They were involved in the defence of the revolution as well. Um, And I think, you know, those kind of show this top to bottom involvement of women basically um and 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 you know just on the whole women were engaged in politics much more often because they they were having their domestic duties and the things that they were having to do in the home slightly decreasing as, and as the revolution went on and it was able to you know begin to provide um, material changes like nurseries and things freeing up women's time is one of the key things that has to happen for women to be more involved so it wasn't just like oh a magic wand has been waved because a revolution has taken place but there are material changes happening because that the economy can now provide because it is you know a nationalized planned economy that's allowing women's participation in politics and so this is why again we see the greater engagement of women after the revolution mm. yeah and i guess of course in that time because it sounds like uh you know i guess like from from uh the explanation that everyone was sort of on board uh with the bolshevik idea of like you know putting forward the class questions and, and stuff like this but obviously uh as what we know today there is of course the ideas floating around of of uh you know liberal feminism and and things like this and that's something that the Bolsheviks also had to engage with and they also had to answer because that was, of course, also like a, a presence, basically, these these dominant ideas in, in society there as well. So how did they approach that? How did they win over as well women to their program? And uh, yeah, how did they approach this question, essentially? Mm, I mean, this is yeah a key issue. And as you say, we're still kind of kind of grappling with this question um but of course liberals had this view that liberal feminists had this view that the emancipation of women was a separate question it had to be fought for as a separate issue mm-hmm. and the bolsheviks rejected that idea now that's not to say that there weren't um you know special commissions and conferences of women and questions that were faced by women discussed by the Bolsheviks that absolutely were but that was never dealt with as an issue that was separate or added on to or not a part of the class struggle it was always situated within that idea that the fight for reforms is the fight to fundamentally change society um and and I mean this difference comes from obviously the fact that liberal feminists don't have this understanding that it's class society and it's it's um you know class itself that creates this gender depression and the differences um that flow from that and so they didn't see change fundamentally changing society as a key question and so their way of uh, you know the meetings that were being held by the liberal feminists were kind of uh, much more about well we need to just I guess a similar today, like educate people and change the viewpoints and have us these separate question um, conferences and meetings. And that meant that they didn't necessarily address any of the key concerns that were being faced by women. I mean, primarily the war itself that was being fought and the question of bread and food and feeding yourself, you know, these basic, basic questions. Um, But the Bolsheviks could provide an answer to that. They could show that actually these questions that are being faced by women that are being uh, you know the problems being faced by women can be addressed by changing society because these are class questions that are being raised that is how the Bolsheviks won women over to the class struggle and to the fight to transform society whereas the liberal feminists were unable to do so um and this 
you know, is the, I guess the key kind of difference in the way we need to fight is on the basis of we're fighting to change society, which will answer these questions that are being raised for women. Yeah, yeah. And I guess indeed, like, uh, this is something not, not an I because of course, the Russian Revolution is incredible. And, and that is something that cannot be covered alone in, in this podcast, unfortunately, uh, of how much it has achieved uh, for women. But uh, this is definitely not an isolated case, as we know that around the world, there have been a lot of uh, women's struggles as well. And not just in the present, as we know it, but also also historic examples, uh, like in Britain as well. And, and, you know, like the suffragettes and things like this. So yeah, I was wondering if you you could you could expand on that like uh what what other lessons are there what other examples are there uh that we can learn from yeah there's so many um i mean just a, a few of the key ones that i think are really important where we see this role of women being absolutely fundamental to the class struggle um they go back a really long time and some key ones i think that's important to look at is maybe the paris commune for example where um similar to the russian revolution we saw women leading the um insurrectionary moments and the same in paris in versailles you know i think like this idea of the fishwives and the women taking to the streets weapon with weapons and kind of arming themselves they're sort of immortalized in people's understanding of this time these are some really important historical examples that i would encourage people to go away and have a look at in more detail you know about how women led striking workers out in these events um if we look a bit more kind of you know like at the situation in britain um a really important uh sort of event to look at I think is the Brian and May strike um which, which took place and was led by you know women women workers in the factory and I think what's really kind of key about this is that the women that were involved in bringing about some major reforms um not just for themselves but you know this I think this strike we can see as being instrumental in bringing about the change to to kind of spurring on new unionism like this massive movement in trade unionism in Britain where we see a big upturn in the class struggle um and workers kind of brought into the struggle who had perhaps been ununionized before we see you know all of this kind of I think can be brought down to stemming from the Bryant and May um strike and what's really phenomenal about it is that the women that were involved in this strike some of them were were little more than girls to be honest really young women who fought really militantly and they um you know kind of led the way by showing that people who had been thought of as ununionizable in the past can be unionized and they organized for themselves they went you know knocking on doors raising strike fund and and raising their own demands and gathering for their own support and they it kind of showed how you know through the class struggle through struggling for some reforms they went much much further than they planned so they were kind of you know campaigning to begin with to make their conditions safer that to, as people will probably know you know to, to not be eating lunch around phosphorus and poisonous chemicals and um not have to pay fines for example and they went on to demand much greater things than this um, changes to the structure of the day and the length of the working day. And it shows you how through struggle uh, for something that was, you know, kind of just small things to begin with, they learned that they were actually far stronger um, and, and were able to achieve even more. And I think this is a great example of um, women acting and fighting that we can look to as an example of real strength within the workers' movement that I think sent ripples far beyond just what they were achieving there. So I think this is a really key, um, you know, historic struggle for reforms where we see 
a, a section of society who, like I was saying, you know, um, I guess prior to 1917, where, where women are seen as less educated, less able to strike. Here's an example that totally blows mm-hmm. it out of the water. And I think history unfairly writes women out of the picture, but their, their, their role in struggles is instrumental right throughout history. Um, you know, we, we can see, you know, like you mentioned the suffragettes. I think this is another great example of that as well, where we see really very militant women fighting for a reform that they saw as being something that could change their conditions now of course just having the right to vote as we know um given the fact that we're still fighting for many reforms today doesn't provide the answer to everything um but that struggle showed just what lengths women were prepared to go to to win a reform that that potentially could ease their conditions and could give them a a, a voice at the table and they faced not only of course um you know hardship through the struggle arrest they faced actual torture by the police through the force feeding that they were subjected to and even death in the case of a few of the suffragettes and this campaign was huge you know they campaigned right up and down the country they brought women together in in meetings they spoke publicly they campaigned to collect uh, signatures collecting in some cases you know hundreds of thousands of signatures the way they worked and organised to engage women right across the country and men as well on, on the point of this struggle, I think is really quite heroic and shows you um, that, you know, women women are able to fight over these questions. Um, and of course, you know, we there's so much to say we could go into the role that Sylvia <laughs> Pankhurst played as a communist organiser and how she went even further than the um, the Pankhurst and things. Um, but yeah, that this, this is a really important struggle for us to look to. Um, and then um, I think, you know, oh, there's, so, there's so many to talk about. There's the particular strikes as well in, in Britain that I think we should look to to learn the lessons from the female workers there. Places like the Dagnum uh, strike, the Ford Dagnum strike, where women, despite um, kind of men and male members of the family not wanting them to struck and fought for equal pay for for equal work for skilled labor for their labor to be recognized as skilled um the Grunswick strike as well I think is a fantastic example of this that I would encourage people to look at where um again a society a member of society a section of society even where we would perhaps think people are less likely to take action so in this case many migrant women workers actually were incredibly militant and then of course we can look more recently again to the role women are playing in strikes but to something like the Arab Spring perhaps where we saw women militantly protesting the streets mm. and calling male um, workers out mm. alongside them as well. Yeah no exactly and I think also like it shows uh, uh, maybe uh, maybe that you can expand on that but like how um, in these revolutionary times and in these strikes and in these movements how much consciousness changes in in their in their perception of of you know like say of of how women are perceived in in society um i guess maybe one of the examples is the minor strike i don't know if if you have uh yeah if you if you can expand on that how that has changed yeah absolutely i think i think that's key though isn't it yeah that that it's not just with this they're not single events issues when these Mm. things happen um because with the miners strike i think this is a good example of where women weren't necessarily leading this strike and it wasn't a strike that was to do with improving the conditions for women or it wasn't about a female workplace it was men who were the ones that were on strike um but we see the role of women there is absolutely instrumental to that campaign and and i know that they weren't successful but that's not on account of the role of the working class in any way actually the role that women played in that strike was was 
was to support um, the miners, organising, again, you know, protest movements and uh, strike committees and um, people might be aware of the Women Against Pit Closures um, mm. where they're you know, organising this kind of support. And, and it was really um, important in changing consciousness, like you say, towards women. So um, there's often a, there was often a view beforehand that was quite, um, again, like that sort of patriarchal type uh, view of women's role being domestic and in the home or perhaps as a kind of sexual object, for example. Um, and it was through the experience of fighting together of men and women alongside each other that began to change that kind of consciousness. So mm-hmm. consciousness towards women like um that perhaps liberal feminists would say is the thing that we need to educate out or change was actually changed on the basis of events and also we can see through this um you know the change in the view that women are able to fight and women are just as tenacious and um are just as strong class fighters as men and there's not really you know a difference Mm -hmm. there um yeah and i think the the minor strikes a very good example of of showing that really and I guess it's similar to I mean it's a similar picture isn't it to what we were talking about earlier with 1917 and this view prior to um the revolution and and sort of the, the Bolsheviks winning women over and into the movement that they were like less intelligent less educated and yeah they were mm. because of the system not able to educate mm. them but that doesn't stop class consciousness from developing you know it's not gonna uh, stop somebody from understanding their role within society on the basis of events and being able to fight just as hard as anybody else um yeah, yeah, exactly. And I guess that's why in most cases we see indeed women take the forefront in, in, in strikes and in struggles and in revolutions, you know, indeed the Russian Revolution is an example where where it was the, uh, you know, the female textile workers that has essentially sparked a revolution uh, by going on strike. But the Arab Spring is an example of it. There's indeed, as you mentioned, a lot a lot of uh, cases where, where women have taken the lead in, in that sense because they are the most exploited and oppressed in society and therefore a true sort of barometer of, of the discontent brewing under, under, uh, amongst the working class, basically, under a crisis of capitalism. And I guess, like, because all, all of the things that we've mentioned and discussed, all of that involved, uh, indeed, you know, like the Marxist ideas uh, flowing in society and all of these things that um, have basically led women to, to strike or to struggle and to fight are all class questions, essentially, uh, that Marxists have always been involved in or even led into success like the Bolsheviks have. So how come that, like today, we can hear a lot about how Marxism is uh, sort of neglecting the women's question or it's, it's not looking uh, um, or, or basically like, yeah, not taking it seriously uh, and therefore needs updating, you know, with uh, with intersectional ideas, with uh, identity politics, all sorts of um, yeah, alien class ideas are floating around that Marxism is not covering uh, the women's question, even though we see from, from historic examples that they have actually, you know, uh, done a lot <laughs> amongst, amongst these struggles and, and the women's fight. So, yeah, th- could you maybe like explain that like where does that come from this idea that marxism is not uh taking the women's question seriously basically yeah okay so of course i think this comes from um the fact that as you say we have seen um where we've seen socialists starting to transform society, we've seen the Marxist ideas begin to be implemented, massive changes have occurred. But the key example that we have in history of that happening was, as we've discussed, the Russian Revolution. And of course, what happened to the revolution was that it began to degenerate under this under the Stalinist regime. And as a consequence, we saw many of the gains that had been implemented for women rolled back. And so this is the kind of prevailing view, I suppose, of um, what happened, like, 
we we saw failures. Now, I don't have time to go into all of the reasons why Stalinist degeneration occurred in Russia. Um, it did happen and and that's kind of sunk into consciousness and, and perhaps people incorrectly associate that with um, Marxist ideas. But also, you know, here's an example, unfortunately, where it didn't happen. Now, we understand as Marxists that that's not, you know, that's not um, the kind of ideas that we're fighting for um, and that, that it is possible to change society into fundamentally bring about these changes that will happen they bring about major changes for women um but you know what happened within the stalinist generation of russia i think is important to look at in a little bit more detail to show you um you know kind of how these gains were rolled back because even though the stalinists declared that the women's question had been solved it definitely hadn't you know and actually when they came to uh, power and began to roll back what happened was that um thousands of domestic tasks returned to women um and also the gains that i talked about before were kind of clawed away so um abortion was made um illegal again actually in mm. 1936 and those key questions around you know divorce being um kind of made more freely available for women that was rolled back it became much more expensive and actually things like prizes were introduced you know for the, mm. for the size of the family that could be created and I think key questions that then lock key kind of gains locked women back into the home in a way so where there had been pushes to make childcare much more readily available to free up the time of women from those domestic roles um those kind of things were clawed back so it, childcare was made available only for the times when women were in work which brought of course back this question of like the double oppression where women would return from the home and immediately then had mm. these childcare um kind of uh, needs placed back upon them um and then the education that women were receiving was changed as well so um girls had previously been brought into the schools which was fantastic but then they were made to um do girls subjects so they were sort of taught housework and things that would prepare them for this domestic role so again rolling back the kind of progress being made towards equality and so we can clearly see that the degeneration of the soviet union brought about the degeneration of women's rights as well um now there are still i, I mean those things did happen and um were absolutely terrible but there are also some things i think worth pointing out that were beneficial to women that remained. Um, so because of the planned economy, it meant that um, certain gains stayed. So, you know, pregnant women were still allowed to switch to lighter work. Um, mm. Things like night work and underground work had been prohibited for women. Um, infant mortality was massively reduced and actually the education of women for the for some uh was still was still fantastic so um you know if we look at for example higher education for women now whilst this wasn't accessible to all women um actually in the ussr in like the 1970s 49 percent of the places in higher education were taken up by women and the only other places in the world that had this were places like finland france sweden and the usa so there were still some gains that had been provided and that came from from the planned economy itself which just shows you know that this trans transformation of the economy is a really key component for Marxists in transforming the situation for women that capitalism and class society generally just simply cannot afford. Um, and, and I think childcare is another good example. I mean, I know I've already kind of talked about it, but this, these places for childcare, I think, are really key. Um, because when you contrast that to, you know, today's society, many mothers now and fathers will know that um, to work now is, is means sending a child to a nursery and that requires mm. you to spend so much of the wage that you've earned on the childcare. Um, and, and so 
So, you know, I guess the sort of position in the Soviet Union did still have these gains that were were slightly beneficial and um, did materially make life a lot easier. Um, and yeah, like I said, I think the key thing here is that it's this nationalised planned economy that allowed these things yeah. to happen. Um, but of course, then there's all of the other negative sides as well that came about because of the Stalinist generation. Workers generally obviously had their um, kind of involvement in the democracy removed and um, mm. the same was true of women as well. So there was these restrictions as well. And so, yeah, this is, I think, why we maybe see today this point that um, or this point of view that Marxism can't adequately answer the, the question of um, that are the, the questions that are faced by women. But of course, I'd argue absolutely the opposite of that, because even under a, a degenerate uh, system, we can still see that, you know, material gains are provided by the transformation in the economy. And so we would argue, obviously, that we need to go much, much further than that and give workers control. Um, and, and, you know, women obviously would be a key part of that. But th this is a really key question, I think, about um, the role of um you know the economy and class society mm -hmm. and of course we can look to russia today and see that with the instigation of the the um the capitalist economy being brought back in and capitalism itself um the the, the gains of women have been reversed even far further than they had been um under the stalinist generation where we see you know collapse of social services like greater unemployment all these things that affect women uh to a greater extent as well all those benefits of the planned economy they've all been completely wiped away um and systematically wiped out and mm. so you know i think looking at these sort of three stages almost is really helpful to to see what it is that we need to do to eradicate um, eradicate oppression and emancipate women properly today mm. yeah exactly I think that that is um, that is sort of the main point right like it's, it is thanks to uh, the change of the of the conditions the material conditions in Russia through the plant economy that they managed to grant say all of these reforms and these changes and of course involving uh, the women workers into these uh, yeah democratically into these decisions as well so yeah it's more like uh, always say like it's it's rather like uh, despite Stalin essentially that they uh, that not thanks to him as, as some as some uh, people may may uh, say but it's thanks to the plant economy is despite him that they managed to still uh, indeed like enjoy say the the sort of the aftermath of the revolution essentially that have changed uh, these conditions in Russia um but yeah i guess like sort of to to go to the uh, the main points right sort of to conclude what what can we like today as as marxist uh take as like from all of these historic examples and these lessons for our struggle today uh for the women's emancipation um like is is there anything in particular that you want to sort of you know point out or bring home to to everyone yeah i mean I I think the key thing is that these reforms that we saw won, not just in the Russian Revolution, but in the other struggles that I've talked about as well, the reforms that were won were fought for by working class people. And that is how all reforms are won. And so if we want to see changes for women and for everybody in the future, it's again going to be on this question of the class struggle and, you know, making sure and bringing women into that class struggle is absolutely essential. And of course, women are uh, 50% of the workforce there can't be class struggle without women being involved in it and so that's the way that the that we need that's the way that we'll bring about change in the future is on this question of the class struggle and really that's of course you know absolutely essential because women today despite there being you know many material advances are actually still facing we're still facing many of the questions that women in Tsarist Russia 
who we're facing, um, especially the, on this question of being more involved in politics and um, kind of the fact that when we see sort of uh, any reforms that had been one clawed away, when we see austerity type policies mm. brought in, when we see these things, it's women that are affected the, the foremost by this. Mm. Um, and so there is this question of needing to eradicate those questions and solve those questions too, that again can only be solved on the question of, as we say, you know, nationalising the, the economy, having a planned economy and using all of those, the massive resources that are available in society to alleviate the burden that is placed on women to bring in you know socialized childcare socialized domestic work and econ- and an, having an economy that can actually provide the basis for this is the first step to being able to free women and emancipate them we have to eradicate scarcity you know we have to bring about a society where all can be provided for including children and and um you know making provisions for like we've said, the domestic labour to be alleviated. Um, and, and none of that is impossible under capitalism. If anything, actually what we're seeing is we're going backwards in terms of the gains that have been made. And so we can see, I guess, from all of these struggles that the, the task ahead of us is quite clear. We need to fundamentally change society. We need this planned economy. We need it to be on the basis of workers' democratic control, not um, you know any other kind of um, way of tinkering or reforming society um, and it's only on this basis that we can start to transform the kind of sexist views and the violence against women and all those other you know pernicious kind of things that come about as a consequence of this reduced role that women have in society so I think you know this this all comes back down to this cl- this question of the class struggle and women being involved in it to the, to the greatest extent and no revolution is going to happen unless those women are involved in it um, and, mm. and so that's the key kind of thing really if we want to free women and we want to have women that aren't just you know it's not just about um having free like equal access to work and equal access to being oppressed yeah. you know we don't want that we we don't want equal access to being exploited we want women and well we want everybody to be free from exploitation oppression and to be able to live fulfilling lives and none of that can mm. happen under the capitalist system and so we're really that's the that's the key task here is to to be involved in the class struggle to be involved in the strike movements to fundamentally change society so we're fighting you know in, in the words of I guess the women of the textile workers who uh, fought for International Women's Day were fighting not just for bread but also for roses too. Mm. Nice well thank you so much uh, Tash for this excellent discussion and thanks to our listeners for listening to this episode of Women's Liberation the Marxist Position. Before we go please make sure to check out our website and the wealth of material that we have on the women's question. I highly recommend visiting our education hub socialist.net slash education where we have a range of resources on everything from how to fight oppression to philosophy and more. The website of our international, the International Marxist Tendency, has also a wealth of material that we highly recommend. And all of the links that I've mentioned will be in the show notes of the podcast. If you like the ideas we've spoken about, then you should definitely join us. Women are involved in the social struggles and the question of women's oppression is on the agenda to a degree that we've not seen in decades. Sexism and the oppression of women is an integral part of capitalism and they can only be removed once we do away with the material conditions that allow these to exist. That's why we fight for socialism and you should join us in our struggle. This was the final episode of this series. We hope you enjoyed it and found it useful. And if you have any feedback for us, then please feel free to get in touch with us through our social media pages. I've been your host, Lubna Bari, and you've been listening to The Marxist Voice brought to you by Socialist Appeal. Have a revolutionary week.